0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning. Thanks for joining us for our our live stream. I want to uh, just say a word about the live stream, and we've been communicating this last week. We uh, we posted a little bit late, in the next two outdoor services, we're not taking all the equipment out there to make it a true live stream. But we'll be back to normal as soon as we get inside. And June first, we will have a uh, we're going to be live streaming until Jesus comes back because we think it's great. We think it's a great tool uh, for the church. I met a family this past. Uh, Sunday, who i never met before, and so I just did this awkward, like I forgot. Do I tell them that I'm the pastor? Or do I let them figure that out when I get up? What do I do? And they're like, oh, we've been watching the live stream. It's nice to meet you. And I'm like, it's great. It's great that people are able um, to do that. And I would suggest to you, if you have a family or you know a friend that is not quite ready to come to church yet, but is God's doing something, then have them over for breakfast some Sunday morning. Say, hey, I'll cook you breakfast. We'll watch church. You can pause it. You can talk about what happens during church, and uh, it's a great tool for us going forward. That being said, um, ch- TV is not church. You have to come back. You have to come back. Church is a group of people together, a family that worships God together. And so, we—it's been great to see people back. A bunch of people were back last week. We look forward to having you back. And um, you need to get—you need to get back. But this is a tool that can help us help people uh, come to know and follow Jesus. So, and that is where we're at in this series. This, we're doing this series through the Bible. Um, in 20 weeks, we're at the Apostle Paul and talking about how God used him to start the early church. And last week was about his mission. This week's about his message. And next week is going to be about his legacy and his mission. Last week said this, that his mission and our mission are the same thing. It's about going and making disciples of Jesus, and our language is to help people come to know and follow Jesus, but that can be, that can seem like a hard thing to do uh, in our day. There's a lot of noise out there today. Everybody seems to be, you know, pushing something on you, and Jesus isn't something that anybody wants to push. It's just not something you should be pushing, and uh, people don't want something jammed down their throat, and I know you guys, and and you don't want to jam anything down, anybody's throat. And I've been a pastor for a long time and I've seen a lot of ways that people have brought the message of Jesus that I don't think are a great way to bring the message of Jesus. And on top of that, you know, we live in a day when I I think it used to be that people would ask, is Christianity true or is Christianity relevant? And I heard someone say this this week, that people are increasingly asking, is Christianity good? And that changes things about message and how we present the message and how we think about it and all of these things so how do we in how do we present this message that we believe in like we know jesus we know he's good Um, i believe that he that's what you are meant to give your life to and live your life for so how do we uh present what we know to be good news to people who aren't so sure it's good news and who aren't you know so sure that it's anything that they need And today we're gonna look at how Paul presented the message and a passage in the book of Acts and that I think is really relevant to us. So this is Acts chapter 17. I'm gonna start in verse 16. I'm gonna read all the way to verse 34. This is gonna take a little while. So open your Bible, um, if you have one or on your phone, uh, pop one open and read along with me. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him you bring some strange things to our ears we wish to know therefore uh, what these things mean now all the athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new so paul standing in the midst of the areopagus said men of athens i perceive that in every way you are very religious for i passed along and observed the objects of your worship and i found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown god what therefore you worship is unknown This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet actually he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising that man from the dead. Now, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others who were with them. Okay, so this is the passage. I'm going to break this down into... Uh, three sections, the recipients of Paul's message, the arrangement of Paul's message, and the response uh, to Paul's message, just to help us digest it. So I'm going to start with the recipients of Paul's message. Paul is in Athens. Athens is um, like the most intellectually significant city in the world at that time. You know, the legacy of, of Athens is Socrates, and Aristotle, and Plato, and Pericles, and Pythagoras, and all those guys that you learned about um, in school. Rome had become the seat of power by this point in history, but Athens remained the intellectual hub in the world. And Paul is there for the first time and just kind of hanging out. <laughs> he, uh, they got kicked out of another Greek city. He's waiting for his guys to catch up with him and then they're going to figure out uh, where they go next. And so this is Paul found opportunities to talk about Jesus everywhere. He's just in Athens. He's not even on a mission in Athens, but he he's going to talk about Jesus everywhere because there are opportunities to talk about Jesus everywhere. And so in this passage, it says he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. And then it says some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So there's really kind of three categories of person there. There's Jewish people, religious people, the Jews and devout person in the synagogue, and so that's like talking to church people that need the gospel because they need the gospel. I thought about this, and I thought about it. growing up. I um I grew up in the Midwest, and half the people, half of my friends were Catholic, and it's a it's a certain you know flavor of Catholic folks up in the Midwest. And there's a lot of guilt and shame, and we had conversations about works and faith, <laughs> and I would go to Ephesians two all the time to talk to them about faith. That it's um, by grace you've been saved uh, not by works that no man may boast because that's what they needed to hear and i knew it and so paul knows how to talk to the religious people and then it says he talks in the marketplace now the marketplace um, for them is like it's a, it's a different thing it's not going to like food line uh, and talking to the cashier so much it's although that's good but it's if you've if you've been to a, a like a foreign country or second or third world country they still have markets where it's the, the center place of um, the city. It's where people come to hang out and to talk in Nicaragua. When you go down to Leon, there's still a market, and it's one of my favorite places to go in the city. And that's a bit what this is like. It's where people exchange ideas, might even be a little bit of the internet, you know, in the marketplace. And so you talk to people there about Jesus. Um, I am not an extrovert, I like people. Uh, but I don't assume that people want to always talk to me. I've had to kind of train myself to have random conversations with people and even like specific conversations with people that I run across um, all the time with people that God's put in in my life. And when when I was thinking about this week, I thought about our landlord, uh, Mr. Tillery, and I don't mail the check to Mr. Tillery. I drop it off at his office um, every month because I just wanna see if we can hang out and talk for a little while because I like him. Um, but, but also because, uh, you know, I, I know that occasionally we get in conversations about faith and Jesus, and that's good. Uh, you should get to know him if you ever meet Mr. Tillery. His his dad and grandfather are buried in Oakwood. His dad owned this place uh this land back in the 30s he had the original lowe's building supply was on this land until some guy dropped a cigarette in the wrong place and burned the whole thing down and it's just there's a history behind the land and the area and paul knows all of it he's like raleigh royalty his mom's dad so his grandfather was Fred Olds. So Olds Elementary was named after your landlord's grandfather. And I know all this stuff, and it's good. And and I'm gonna talk later about just a conversation I got, on, got into with him, but he's my marketplace. You know, you have a marketplace where you can talk to people. And then the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers, and they take them to the Areopagus, where they just talk about stuff all the time. And so there's context for talking about ideas. Uh, there is something I have wanted to try for a while, and I'm gonna, plan on doing it this fall and I'm going to ask for your help. and right now I'm going to ask for your help. You know, it's called the alpha program. It's not new. They've been doing it in Britain for 30 years and um, it's a context to have conversations about faith. And so what they do, it's, I think it's 11 or 12 weeks and every week you get together at the same time, you have a meal. And so there's just relationship. And then there's a 30 minute talk and that could be me, but it's likely going to be a video like they're going to present it. And then we're just going to have a conversation and the questions, are laid out. And so the first question is, is there more to life than this? And then who is Jesus? And why did Jesus die? And how can I have faith? And how should I pray? And how should I read the Bible? And how does God guide us? And who's the Holy Spirit? And how can I avoid evil? Does God heal today? And how can I make the most of the rest of my life? And it's just context to have conversation. And it's really like a a prayer-soaked deal. And they've seen millions of people come to faith, over the years with this because they're dependent on the Holy Spirit and they're creating context to have conversation about Jesus, and I wanna do that. So if you wanna help me with that, let me know, jeff at oakcitychurch.com. If you're like, I wanna have those conversations, I need to talk about that stuff, let me know, and uh, I'll let you know that. But that's, there's context. And so he talks to people everywhere, because you can. Christianity is the most diverse religion in the history of the world. (laughs) I mean, the Middle East was all Christian at one point early. Until the advent of Islam, the Middle East was Christian. Until recently, there were remnants of the Christian church all over Islam. And one of the tragedies of ISIS was, was forcing those churches out. But now, like, come and listen to this Pastor X talk tonight or... Um, with your home group because he tells crazy stories that I've heard for years about Jesus coming to people in dreams and the church is exploding in the Middle East because it can, in Africa, like one of the first converts in the Bible is the Ethiopian eunuch. And Ethiopia has this rich history of the Christian faith and um, Egypt does. Uh, Alexandria was one of the three centers of the church with Jerusalem and Rome. Um, and so Africa has this rich Christian heritage and Europe obviously has a rich Christian legacy that we are really uh, a part of. But now the future of the church, people will tell you, is sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia. And I hear over and over that in just a few years, the church in China is going to be bigger than the church in America. And it's just exploding because, um, because Christianity is like a, it transcends culture as a message. So you can talk to anybody about it. And Paul does, and his approach, to the recipients of his message is very generous. And I want you to catch this, and I want you to ask yourself, like, is the church's uh, you know, position, posture, towards the culture around us, the recipients generous, like Paul's is, is mine uh, generous? So some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with Paul, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And babbler was not a positive, word. It was an idiom. It it meant like someone who just recycles old ideas and has nothing nothing new to say or meaningful to say. And others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So their approach to him was not very generous. This guy's a babbler. And I think most of us kind of feel like that, you know, the approach of culture of the church right now is not a very generous culture. But his he didn't respond in kind. His response was generous because that's what Jesus taught us to do. You know, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, "'Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious.'" He doesn't say, "'I perceive you guys are totally messed up about all of this.'" He doesn't get defensive because they called him a babbler, and so he calls them, "'Well, you're a bigger babbler than I am.'" He doesn't say, "'You're very religious, but clearly you've got it all wrong and you're going to hell.'" That's not where he starts with these guys. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And and provoked is like disturbed, um, troubled, so angered, but in a loving way. Like it bothered him how many idols they had. It's it was said that there were there was more idols in Athens than there were people in Athens. They had gods for everything, and. In a way, this got me thinking about culture today and where we are, and, and I mention this, I feel like I, every couple months, that every survey that comes out about people's religious affiliation, the fastest growing group is the nones, is the, the N-O-N-E-S, the people that they're not atheist, they're religious, but they're not affiliated with a specific denomination or even a specific religion. They're just uh, spiritual. You know, formal church membership in the latest one of these things is at a hundred year low, but people are not getting less religious. They're, if anything, getting more religious. Uh, I cited an article a few weeks ago from the the Los Angeles Times about how the millennials um, have replaced religion with astrology and crystals. And they cited an article from The New Yorker saying this is the astrology generation. Y'all, we live in Athens. We live in the Athens of our day. Uh, in many ways, and Raleigh even, we're so educated. It's an intellectual and philosophical hub of the world. But people that are seeking God, it's sophisticated and educated people that get into things like Wicca and astrology because they know there's something more. And that's what the Athenians were. They knew there was something more. Uh, A big part of the reason that I listen to geeky podcasts and read geeky articles all the time and then share them with you every Friday uh, is because I'm a student of the culture, um, part of it might be because it's my preferred way to procrastinate. But a lot of it is because I I want I want everybody to get along. I want everybody to see this and understand it. So I want to understand where people are. And part of that is how I'm wired as by personality and as a pastor. But part of it is just that's you know the role that we play as uh, the church and the temptation for the church. Um, in response to people getting like less specifically religious and more just generally religious is to lament it's a temptation to anger and frustration about how we as the church have lost ground over the years and whenever these surveys come out about the nuns like i find out about them because there are articles written by christians that are wringing their hands about how you know how horrible this is um and in, in like that makes sense the church has had power in our culture for for 300 years you know the country was founded on judeo-christian principles and i think that was good uh, for the church it was good for the country i think it was good for the world but a byproduct of that over time was that it was culturally beneficial for people to be a part of the church even if they didn't believe in jesus you know (laughs) uh there was a social benefit to being a part of a church And there's a coercive aspect to that where people looked like they believed when they really didn't and and a coercive aspect for the the larger culture to feel like they had to live by christian morals because they would be shamed or ostracized if they didn't and that is all gone now or it's rapidly going away it's more likely that there will be a cultural cost than a cultural benefit to being associated to the church. And the people that did feel coerced into behaving a certain way are kind of mad about it and want someone to pay. (laughs) And, And what I think that has revealed is the church has been running on the fumes of cultural power for a long time now. And that's not working anymore. And it's like we're having to change fuel sources to the real power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to fuel the forward motion of the church and of the gospel. And we're, we're being called uh, to depend on the spirit in a new way because that cultural power is gone. It's the best thing that could ever happen to the church, but it's hard and we don't get it. And I think that's why Paul is so helpful in this scene. It says, Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that you were in every way very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I'm going to proclaim to you. And so let me move to the arrangement of Paul's uh, message. And so the message is always the same message, which is a testament to the, the timelessness and the transcultural nature of the gospel. But, but you do emphasize it differently. And so this is from 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says to the church at Corinth, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And that is the gospel, that Jesus came, he lived the life that we were made to live to show us what it was meant to be like, that he died the death, you know, for the consequences of our sins on the cross and rose from the dead to show us that he has the power over sin and death and causes us to follow him. That is the good news of the gospel. But the emphasis of it changes, and he adjusts it to his audience with a lot of sophistication. So this is what he says to them. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and meaning. This is, if you think about it, a real affront to the known gods that they do have. They have thousands of gods in probably thousands of temples. This is Greece, you know. You learn this in history class. They have temples to Zeus and to Aphrodite and to Ares and to Apollo and to Athena and to Poseidon, to all these gods that had control over different realms of nature. And Paul is saying this god is greater than all of those other gods that you... Worship. Um, I remember years ago being in Cambodia. It's an animist culture, very spiritual, and every business place and every home had a little spirit house out in front of it. It was like like a diorama that you made in um, in grade school, or like turning your your mailbox sideways and cutting a side out of it, and then they would put like a Buddha in there, and they'd put some plants and incense every day and like bananas, they make an offering to it. And as far as I know, the bananas never like went away. You know, they just got brown, but they did that to appease the spirits. And Paul is saying like, hey, this doesn't really make sense. You know, Uh, I mean, I thought about that. Do we have idols like that? And I thought, I don't think, you know, we don't have spirit houses. We don't have thousands of idols. But then I thought, do we have thousands of things that we give, that we worship, that we give our time to, that we give our resources to that we devote ourselves to with the expectation that they will give us life in return and i thought oh we absolutely do and it's called the inner they're all on the internet you know they're not in little houses for us um in this passage when it says they did nothing but debate new ideas i thought man this is the internet and it always offers us something new that will give us life there's i don't know how billions of hours of youtube videos out there that you can and probably have watched there's billions of dollars worth of products on Amazon that scream at you I will give you life there's Facebook and Instagram and all the new things that are happening and have happened that you have to see and these will give you life and I don't I think he would say like this is the same thing you know he would tell us that God doesn't live on YouTube or Amazon or Instagram life is not found there but this God gives you life and breath and everything. And he's real and ultimate and bigger than you think he is. And so it's a contrast um, to their gods, you know. Uh, and he says that he is, this God is transcendent above all those gods. And they, yet in the very next breath, he says he's imminent. He's right here. Paul goes on, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. So he's bigger than all your gods, but he's also more personal than all your gods. And he made you because he wants relationship with you. Uh, John and I were talking about this week, a lot of times when we talk about the gospel, we start in Genesis 3. We start with the fall. We start by feeling like we have to make people feel real bad about themselves. But Paul starts in Genesis 1 saying, hey, God made you. And, you know, the, you know, we started in this in this whole series with you're made in the image of God. And that's incredible. And you're made to be incredible. And Paul says, he knows where you are right now. And he has you here to seek him because he wants a relationship with you. And that whole thing is really, it's incredibly positive. You know, and there's part of us, I think we have a lingering thing, um, depending on how long you've been in church of like, yeah, but judgment, we have to make sure that they know there's this big gap between them and God. And there's a reason Jesus died on the cross. And then Paul says, yet he's actually not far from each one, of you, each one of us, for in him we live and move and, and have our being, and even as some of our own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. And that doesn't, I remember like studying this years ago and thinking, well, what about the gap, Paul? What about the gap that the cross has to go, you know what I mean? But it's just a different, it's a different way of presenting the same message for a group of people that are in a different place. And he's not gonna avoid judgment, but he's gonna get at it in a different way. And so he says, being God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he'll judge the world in righteousness. The days of the former times of ignorance, uh, God has overlooked I read once in a commentary that that's like Paul saying, hey, listen, God has winked at your sin and I almost fell off of my chair. You know, this is not Jonathan Edwards preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God where people fainted and cried. (laughs) But it's also not um, what is increasingly being termed like progressive Christianity that oftentimes takes the cross right out of Christianity and says, you don't need it. And Paul doesn't do that either. He says, um, God is... He commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness and you don't repent of something unless you have to turn from it that's what it means you don't repent unless you understand that there is sin and he's going to bring judgment you know and i think paul's saying your pursuits are completely vacant and you need to turn away from them to the god who is real and a sin is it's a hard, it's a different thing to talk about in our culture today. It seems like a foreign concept um, to a lot of people. And I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not totally sure why that is. Maybe it is because we're in an age where people are asking if Christianity is good. And so there's a, who are you to tell me about what sin is by, uh, to folks that are coming from a Christian perspective. But deep down, I really believe this. People know their flaws better than anyone else. They may you know, not want to talk about them. And you may have to get really close uh, and love really well to make yourself a safe enough place and, you know, and be transparent yourself to have a conversation with somebody um, about sin. But people know it. Um, I, the, the past few years, have, have come to talk about, about just about the idea of heaven and hell and the afterlife and what people believe about it because I think when you get down to it, people know something needs to change for heaven to be any semblance of what we think heaven is. You put, you put a thousand me's, any place for eternity that is going to be closer to hell than it is to heaven. And I know it. And you know that about yourself too, like change needs to happen. And there are consequences to the things that we either won't change about ourselves or can't change about ourselves. And there's a culpability to that. Um, And, and a guilt and so we understand this that judgment is a real thing even if we might think about it in a little bit different terms and repentance is something that's necessary and grace is something that we need from god people might be more convicted of their sin than we give them credit for and jesus said you know before he went to the cross he told his disciples when the holy spirit comes the holy spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment and so i think there's part of us that just has to believe that that's true and that job isn't you know, that's part of the message for sure, but it's not our job to convict people of sin. He has to do this. And Paul then brings it to resurrection and said he's shown all this to us by, by resurrecting this man from the dead. And so all the elements of the gospel are in there for people to believe. It's the same message, but there is a bit of a different es- emphasis to it and some sophistication um, to how he does that. And I think a lot of dependence on the Holy Spirit in how he um, presents it. And so the third thing I want to talk about, this is pretty brief, is the response to the message. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others that were with them. And so some people reject the message and the messenger outright, right there. And some people want to know more. And some people are ready to follow Jesus, and they're ready to follow Jesus right now. Uh, this response is common. Read through the book of Acts. Read later when he gets to Rome and presents the message, and it's the same thing. Some people are like, this is stupid. Some people wanna know more about it, and some people are ready to, for Jesus right now. Uh, it's the same in many cities. It's it's similar to how Jesus articulates it in the parable of the sower, that you're gonna throw that seed out, and. You know, some, it's going to come up on, the, on the, uh, the path and some people are just going to reject it and some people are going to kind of receive it and maybe not quite be ready for it. And some people are going to be totally ready for it. Are you ready for those three responses? Um, are you ready to be mocked? You know, are you ready for people to make fun of you? Um, you know, on the one hand, people can be uh, forgiven for having a hard time believing that a guy rose from the dead and that that's the hinge of history. Uh, on the other hand, um, people also should, shouldn't assume that everybody that's followed Jesus for the last 2,000 years is a complete fool, you know? <laughs> and I think that happens a lot. And I think they're mocking it for another reason. And you're just going to have to be a part of that and, and deal with it. Paul said, I've become a fool for Christ's sake. And I think we're called into that in some ways, you know? I, uh, last week, I talked about a guy that, that talked about how in our culture, he feels like they're, we are suppressing truth in a lot of ways. But he used this illustration of like taking a watermelon. If the watermelon is the truth and you're trying to keep it underwater in a pool, you can only do that for so long. The watermelon is always gonna come back up. And he said he feels like that's happening, in our, it's gonna happen in our culture and has happened, it will happen and uh, continue to happen. He, he told this story about um, being asked to be a part of a panel on CNN and, um, and he couldn't do the first one. They called him back and asked him about another one. It was, it was when uh, Bruce Jenner was transitioning to be Caitlyn Jenner, and he was gonna give a Christian response on that. So it was an early transgender conversation. And he said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go ahead and do that. And the guy's like, okay, great. I got a Christian for my panel. He said, um, uh, well, what's your position? Uh, like, it'd be helpful to know that. And, and, he, and this guy said, he said, this is the best I can remember what I told the guy on the phone. He said, look, I'm a Christian, Jesus loves people who are transgender. This has become a politically hot issue, but the studies show that trans people are more likely to suffer psychologically from depression, loneliness, anxiety, than others. And I think we need to calm down, find common ground, and ask how we can help this community of people. And he said, I got done, and it was real quiet on the other end. And the guy was like, dang it, I can't have you on. You're way too compassionate, you know? (laughs) And so like, People, there's just an example. People don't, it's about more than just the message and it's about more than just the evidence for the message. I said this a few weeks ago that Jesus said to Corazine, um, and maybe it was Chorazin and Bethsaida, woe to you because like you had so many works done in you and yet you didn't believe. It's about something is going on deeper than the evidence and you're gonna run into that if you give the message of Jesus, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed, are you ready for that? Some people are willing to hear more and are you ready to engage that conversation and do um, some homework? I I mentioned our landlord Paul and so a few weeks ago I dropped the rent check off and he paid me a real big compliment. We got talking about COVID and church and just some things that people are struggling with in some situations and he said I really admire you for the way you engage you know deeply in people's lives. He said early in my career I was in the army and I was a counselor in the army. And it was hard. It was hard carrying people's burdens like that. And I felt like I didn't have anything really to say, useful to say to him, to help him. And so I had to, to get out of it. And it was one of those moments where when, you, when you're when you doing this enough, like you realize that the seas have parted and you get to walk through with Jesus right now, if you want to, there's just a wide open opportunity. And so this answer, you know, response to him was a lot longer than this, but I and essentially said, Paul, listen, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, If this isn't true, I have nothing to say. I do not have good advice for people that is helpful. I have a resurrected Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and that's it. And that is an awkward way to leave a conversation. And it was just that awkward. And I knew it was gonna be and it's fine because I'm gonna drop the rent check off again next month and we're gonna have another conversation and we like each other, you know what I mean? So are you willing to like give the people more when they want more? And are you ready when some people are ready right now? Are you ready to say somebody to somebody? You know what? Like, let's do this right now. Let's pray, and you can just confess that you're a sinner to Jesus and thank him for dying on the cross for you and rising from the dead, and tell him you believe in him and that he's stuck with you. That you're going to follow him. That you're his disciple, and that'll be a great moment. It'll change your life forever. Are you ready for that? And so, to finish off this message, if you're a Christian, you know I'd ask you to think through those things. Who are the recipients that God has put? Uh, in your path and are you open to them? Are you generous towards them um, you know, in, in your approach? Uh, how are you communicating the message to them? And are you doing it in a way that, that makes sense to them? And are you ready for the responses that they might give you? And if you're tuning in today and you are not yet a Christian, that you have not bought into who Jesus is and what he's done for you, I'd ask you, how have you responded? You know, which of those responses describes you the most that you just kind of think this is foolishness, like that might be a response, or you want to know more. And if that's you, then maybe you're the one that needs to do the Alpha course and be a part of that conversation. And you need to let me know, because I need to make a list and get this thing going, because I'm super excited about it and having that conversation with you. But go get more information if that's it. And if you're ready, if you're like, I don't know when I got ready, but I am ready. And I believe this, and I want to give my life to Jesus and follow him then you pray that prayer right now and let me know because we need to help you grow as a disciple and we'll get that baptism set up outside next week and we'll baptize you because that's what Jesus tells you to do. And nothing would give us greater joy than to do that and celebrate that with you. Father, thanks for this um, scene. Thanks uh, that this happened, that you led Paul to Athens, that um, these folks heard him talking about Jesus and called him a babbler. <laughs> And, uh, but wanted to hear more and that he got the chance um, to talk about the truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus uh, to these folks and that some of them believed and we're the legacy of that, that the church moved forward through that. God, would we be ready, willing, and able to have conversations with the people that you put in our path around you? Would you help us to discern the, the best way to present the gospel in the context of the conversations that we're having? And would you be, Um, Help us to be ready for the responses um, that we are going to experience, God. And would you go before us and be with us and go behind us in, in all of these conversations? Would it all be for you and for your kingdom and your glory? We love you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.